A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. I am Jason Kebler, and I've got Samantha Cole. Hi. And we are Rue. Hey. Hey. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, Sam, do you just kind of want to tee this up since you've uh, been talking to Liara for a couple months now? I think it started with the Patreon stuff back in December, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been working together on stories for quite a while now, almost since um, my beginning at Motherboard full time. Um, so Liara has been a really great resource um, as far as the world of sex work and that community. Um, they are an independent porn creator and producer um, and just a really great uh, organizer, activist, um, awesome at connecting people, which is something that we've both worked on together quite a bit. Um, so yeah, we decided to have Liar on today because um, everyone is kind of coming off the heels of this big weekend where sex workers uh, descended on their respective cities and especially Washington, D.C. to um, advocate and demonstrate and lobby for sex work rights. Um, So that was a pretty big deal and I think pretty historic. I think it's the first time that um, this is, it's been uh, that large of an event around um, sex worker rights nationwide. So, um, yeah, that's why we decided to ask you on today, Liara. Um, and yeah, do you want to just kind of start by telling folks a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do in your own words? I am a sex worker, um, so I do in-person work, and I also do porn. Um, I also write for, <laughs> I guess I've written for Motherboard, actually, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and a couple other places, um, I do a lot of sex work advocacy. I've just started to get more involved, um, after, uh, Patreon started shutting down sex workers accounts. Um, and I'm really excited to see where the movement is going. Was your advocacy around Patreon sort of the first time that you had delved into the, uh, the advocacy work, uh, about, you know, getting better treatment for sex workers, both online and then more recently with SESTA-FOSTA, which we'll talk about um, legally speaking? Yeah, I had given uh, 
like financial donations to organizations before, um, but I'd never really done any sort of advocacy specifically around sex work before. Um, I felt like um, because I was on Patreon, it was something I could sort of speak up about. Um, and it felt like no one else was doing anything. Um, so it seemed important for someone to stand up for all the creative uh, sex workers who are using Patreon. Yeah. So can you just take us back to, to that moment? Like what, um, what did Patreon do and what is the situation like now? Because I know that there was a lot of organizing soon after they announced that they were going to be stricter about what was allowed on the platform. So um, I know you're instrumental in, in organizing there. Like, w- what is the situation like right now? Patreon, um, after we worked with them a little bit, agreed um, that they would work really closely with creators to make sure um, that they weren't just shutting down people's accounts um, without any sort of recourse, um, which has been really good um, for some people whose fan bases um, were more interested in just giving them money and weren't as concerned about the rewards. Um, But for other people, um, because Patreon is still banning porn, um, they've lost like a massive source of income, um, which is really upsetting. I think um, Patreon uh, really should have tried harder in this case to um, really advocate for sex workers because no one else is really doing that. No other major companies are doing that. Yeah, I, I guess it's at least good there's been some movement there, but yeah, that that's pretty disappointing to hear. Um, it's been a tough, at least from just reading Sam's reporting and, and the people that she's talked to, it seems like it's been a particularly bad few months for sex workers, especially online. Um, Sam, do you want to talk about some some of your reporting? Yeah, there? sure. So um, in, I guess it was March and April, um, this bill came through the um, House and then was passed into law called FOSTA-SESTA, which um, most people have probably heard something about by now and might not be totally up on um, what exactly it is. But it is a bill, or I guess now a law, that um, makes websites more liable for what people say and do online and it's aimed at or people said it was aimed at um ending human trafficking and sex trafficking um but the problem with the law is that it catches consensual sex workers up in that and punishes websites for um allowing them to talk and gather um and share information that's really vital to their survival um so that happened that passed um, overwhelmingly, um, and we've seen immediate repercussions from it. Um, people are no longer able to vet clients online as easily as they maybe could or using the same platforms that they could before. Um, it's not the same for everybody, obviously, but um, a lot of those resources are now gone for sex workers, and um, it's pushing them back out Um, onto the streets or it's making it harder for them to be safe um, when they are using online resources. So uh, that's what everyone is dealing with now in that community. Um, I'm sure, Liara, you could speak more to that, but um, yeah, yeah, everyone that I've spoken to has just kind of been like, this is the worst that it's ever been. Um, It's unbelievably bad um, and very scary. So um, yeah, do you want to kind of tell people about that a little bit and what um, 
what it's been like in the aftermath now that we're a couple months into post-SESTA life. I think it's really important to note that people who are most affected by SESTA-FOSTA are people who are already in marginalized communities. Um, For example, I'm like a white, privileged person um, who's, you know, skinny and everything. So my business hasn't been too severely impacted yet. But um, one of my friends who is a undocumented um, trans person of color um, basically isn't getting new clients at all anymore. And so she really has to like rely on like her regulars um, because um, she's not getting any new clients, which creates um, this unfortunate dynamic where it makes it a lot harder for her to fire any clients that aren't aren't good, aren't respectful. Um, and I think you're just seeing this effect um, where people are a lot, um, are very worried about losing further resources and so are taking more clients that just aren't uh, quite as safe. They're taking more risks. Um, and I think, uh, you know, people have already died as a result of this legislation, I think it would be fair to say. And um, it's it's just really, <laughs> it makes me so angry. Can we talk a little bit about the framing of SESTA-FOSTA? Like when, because this, this passed overwhelmingly, and as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this was sort of pitched as a way of uh, like shutting down Backpage, which is was an online classifieds website where a lot of sex workers uh, you know, got their clients and vetted uh, clients as well. And a lot of the rhetoric surrounding SESTA-FOSTA was sort of came from politicians who said, you know, there is, uh, you know, child trafficking going on on Backpage and we need a law like this to, to stop it, even though so many sex workers, consensual sex workers were using it to vet clients and to uh, sort of remain safe. Uh, but then Backpage was shut down before SESTA-FOSTA became a law. So that was all sort of a bunch of nonsense. Um, and then we've seen all sorts of like collateral damage coming after that. Um, did I get the sort of basic timeline and, and rhetoric right there or, or is there more to it? Yeah, yeah. When I spoke um, with Reva Price, who is an aide for Nancy Pelosi, when I was lobbying on June 1st, um, she said that um, when we brought up sesta Fossa for the first time when we were talking with her, that she had no idea that it was really sex work related at all. She was sort of blown away. Um, it was really framed as something that was just preventing child sex trafficking. Um, and no one really had any idea that um, the language of the bill um, had been rewritten to like focus on prostitution. Um, and it was uh, really upsetting um, that such a harmful bill had been pushed through so quickly without um, giving sex worker advocates a real chance to push back. There have been some immediate repercussions. I think the most visible one that, that I remember just as sort of like a casual observer was Craigslist just shut down its personal site immediately. Um, and that's probably uh, that's a website that everyone interact has interacted with in, in some way. But there have been a lot of other 
probably less visible ones. And um, I don't know if, if you want to talk about some of them or if that is something that is uh, sensitive information. I, I'm not really sure. But um, what what sorts of like actions have we seen post-SESTA? I think we've seen more sex workers having um, their accounts shut down on different sites, um, probably because uh, the companies are worried about um, repercussions from SESTA-FOSTA. Some of these sites had already been shutting down sex workers and started doing it more aggressively. Um, I honestly um, went back when uh, Patreon started shutting down um, sex workers' accounts. I um, thought, um, you know, and this was a, a while before it passed, um, but I thought it might have something to do with FOSTA-SESTA because um, it seemed... Um, like, like it, it was just all of a sudden all these tech companies started shadow banning, like Twitter started shadow banning sex workers and um, Instagram started banning different hashtags and being a little more stringent about shutting down sex workers' accounts. And I think um, even before... Um, the bill was voted on, it was starting to have a, an effect. As, a, as an observer, someone who's just editing Sam's stories and, and sort of watching this happen online, it seems like there's a lot of confusion about whether an action that an online platform takes against sex workers or takes against uh, a service that sex workers use or something like that. There's a lot of confusion about whether it is strictly SESTA-FOSTA related. And I think that's part of what makes this so upsetting is that they, you know, they're private companies, they can shut down things for whatever reason they want. And it seems like a lot of companies are probably taking steps that they don't need to take to comply with the law that is harming people, but that could be interpreted as being because of SESTA-FOSTA. Um, but, but you can't say that for sure, because maybe this activity isn't actually banned by the language of the, of the law or something like that. Um, is that something that you've experienced in, in that community as well, that there is confusion about why some of these actions are happening? Or is it, uh, I guess on, on some level, it doesn't even really matter. But uh, when, you, when you talk about fighting back against it, um, I, I'd imagine that maybe it does matter the, the reason why, why things, these services have been taken away. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that the effects of SESTA-FOSTA are extremely amorphous, um, and it's difficult to tell whether a company is taking action because of stigma against sex work, like they just don't want to ruin their brand, or if they're worried about legal repercussions or um, something else entirely. Um, I do think um, a lot, like I have heard um, from people uh who like different sites have taken down um, things and said that it is specifically about SESTA FOSTA, like Craigslist, um, and uh, a couple sites that provide resources to sex workers that I don't want to name specifically because it could um, lead to them being further targeted. Um, but yeah, it's really frustrating to just like not really know uh, why <laughs> something is being taken away from you. Um, but I think. Um, having legislation um, that criminalizes some aspect of sex work adds to the stigma of sex work. And so I do think even if something is perhaps not immediately related to SESTA-FOSTA, I think that um, 
laws being made that criminalize sex work make companies less likely to want to touch it just in general. So let's talk a little bit about the the lobby day. Um, Sam, you've been talking to some sex workers who are there. Liara, obviously you were there as well. Um, but Sam, what have you been hearing about, you know, how this was organized, how it went, that sort of thing. And the, and you've definitely commissioned some pieces that are have run on Motherboard or are going to run on Motherboard the rest of this week. So um, you, you've talked to a couple of people. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've been hearing from sex workers who are there? And then we'll talk to Liara about uh, their experience there. Yeah, sure. So um, the lobby day happened on uh, June 1st um, in D.C. So I think from what I heard, um, it was like 40-ish sex workers and advocates uh, went down to D.C. um, and just decided to um, organize and show up and talk to their representatives on Capitol Hill. Um, which is really awesome and really cool that um, they were able to do that. Um, I believe it was organized by the Sex Workers Outreach Project and Survivors Against SESTA, but it was kind of this big mass effort of let's all go down and, um, you know, state our case, uh, put ourselves in front of these people that voted for something that puts our lives in danger. Um, Like Liara said with um, Nancy Pelosi, like it's mind boggling that... (laughs) They uh, maybe just didn't even bother to look into this bill before they passed it into law um, and think about the repercussions that it could have um, and didn't talk to sex workers and actual uh, people who would be affected. So this was a day to um, just get out there and make their voices heard. Um, So, yeah, I would love to hear more from Liara about that because um, you were actually there. what was it like being there? Um, what was kind of the the vibe, I guess? It seemed really um, exciting and empowering. Um, but tell me more about your experience and who you talked to maybe and what they what their responses were. Just being in a room with so many sex workers who are doing advocacy work was a really powerful thing in and of itself, I think. Um, I hadn't... Um, really had a chance um, to be involved in that sort of thing before. And I think just seeing all these people gathered, um, really wanting to make a change and help their community was uh, really amazing. Um, And yeah, it was, um, I I only ended up talking um, to uh, people at Nancy Pelosi's office because um, she's in the Capitol building. um, And so it was kind of far away from where the other meetings were taking place. Um, And I am a San Francisco constituent, so um, (laughs) it made the most sense for me to talk to her uh, directly. Um, And yeah, it was just like, uh, like I think, you know, like there had never been a sex worker lobbying day before at all. And Um, I think once we start making our voices more heard and start advocating more for ourselves, um, more powerful change will really be possible. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Were staffers and representatives receptive to taking meetings with you and, and the other people who were there? Or was this something that uh, you sort of had to fight just to get an audience? No, they were very receptive about um, wanting to meet with us. Um, yeah, it was, I think um, they're always, most staffers are usually eager uh, to meet with um, constituents, especially um, when, um, you know, they're they're coming from a relatively, like, well-organized place. <laughs> um, and I think um, Kate Dalmo who um, was running the Sex Worker Lobby Day, did an amazing job of um, making sure everything went smoothly and was um, done professionally. One thing that I find uh, disheartening about this whole, about SESTA-FOSTA is that we've seen time and time again uh, over the past couple decades that any laws governing the internet are always written very broadly and then are sort of mis- uh, misapplied or or used to go after marginalized people or used to go after free speech or, or things like this on the internet, uh, used to expand surveillance, things like that. Um, and often we see, uh, you know, you have groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation or and all these other, like ACLU, other, other groups, and they speak out sort of vehemently about the fact that these laws are written so broadly and can be misapplied. Um, and around SESTA-FOSTA, there was some of that, but I think probably because it involved a, a group that is often marginalized and vilified by the media and by uh, just society, I guess, as well as the fact that it was sort of named after child sex trafficking, sort of like flew through without uh, the same type of outrage that we saw around bills and laws like CISPA or even something like net neutrality or uh, laws that were designed to allow broadband companies to to sell your personal data and stuff like that. Um, it's certainly great that they're taking meetings now, um, but I'm wondering, like, the tone and tenor of, the, of this sort of thing, like, there, there has been a lot of outrage and there's been a lot of reporting about the unintended effects of SESTA-FOSTA or you know, perhaps they were intended, but the the uh, damaging effects of it. And I'm curious, uh, do the lawmakers seem like they want to fix this? I think politicians um, are usually um, going to try um, to make their constituents happy, which, you know, I think is sort of the point of a democracy. Um, and I think... Um, we as sex workers need to really do a lot um, to make sure that um, communities that these people are representing do know about um, what's happening to sex workers and sort of change the narrative about what is happening. Um, I think um, that sex or that uh, politicians um, <laughs> do respond um, positively to sort of like concrete facts and statistics about. Um, what these laws um, are are causing to happen. I think, um, you know, mentioning that uh, criminalization of sex work drastically increases HIV transmission rates um, and increases homicide rates, um, stuff like that is just like really um, valuable information. Um, and I think that 
um, people are starting to pay more attention to it. Do you know what a SESTA-FOSTA fix would look like um, short of sort of a, 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 an entire repeal? Like, is there a piece of legislation that, um, you know, the, the people who lobbied there are, are working on or, or want to work on that would um, restore some of the the sites that have been taken down post-SESTA-FOSTA? Or is it something where a fix is still being worked on? I think um, a fix is still being worked on. No one really, ex- all the people that I talk to who are more involved in like organizing around legislative uh, sex worker advocacy, um, they they didn't see this coming. It was pushed through extremely quickly without really giving people a chance to you know set up meetings with lawmakers at all. Um, and I think, um, yeah, people are still struggling to figure out um, how to, how exactly to combat it just because it did come pretty much out of nowhere. I want someone um, did say something really funny about um, sex trafficking bills in general. Um, I think uh, the exact quote was uh, sex trafficking bills are like teddy bears. Everyone wants one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the, the way it was phrased is definitely, I mean, Jason made the comparison to like bills like uh, net neutrality and things like that. Um, and there's nothing like net neutrality made people mad, but it wasn't immediately like an emotional response. Like, oh, with this, it's like, oh, we have to save the children, um, which is a line that, you know, has been used time and time again, like th- do it for the children. Um, but to push these things through that actually are going to be bad for us in the long run. Um, so yeah, I think you're totally right that <laughs> it was easy for them to get behind something where the name was so cut and dry, uh, and sex trafficking or whatever the title was of the actual law. Um, and it's, it's like an easy win for them probably in their eyes. And now that it's actually passed into law, they're probably realizing that maybe it wasn't what they thought. Um, yeah, that's kind of the... The feeling that I got reading other people's um, experiences with the lobby day that they were surprised that people um, and staffers were um, unaware that this was happening. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you attend any of the, you attended one of the protests or the demonstrations here in New York, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I was only there for a little bit. Um, So I I actually ended up leaving before the speakers started talking, unfortunately. Um, But everyone I I talked to who went said it was an incredibly moving experience um, and that it just felt like while I was there, not even everyone had shown up yet. I think eventually there were 400 people at the, the protest in New York. And it just felt so amazing to be surrounded by members of my community, some of whom I recognized, some of whom I didn't. Um, and it felt really amazing to have everyone come together and to have allies there too who are interested in supporting us. Um, I think moments of solidarity like that are just so important for morale um, and for just like disseminating information about um, what criminalization of sex work does to the community. It seemed like a lot of fun. I was having, um, I was definitely wishing that I was there. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a really, like a joyful time yeah. all around. Liara, do you feel comfortable talking about uh, the piece that you wrote for Motherboard uh, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, totally. 
Sam, do you want to frame it since since you worked with Liara on the piece? They approached me to do this um, coming out um, essay, which um, I was really honored that um, they would come to us with that. Um, and it was basically um, a coming out story for uh, Liara being a sex worker to their family, um, also coming out as... Um, trans and um to like all of all of their clients uh which is a big deal um and that was the basis of the essay and i think they did a really good job handling that um and all the nuances that go into that um so yeah i'd love to hear more about um, the response to that after you put it out um and um yeah, as much um, as you want to get into that, um, kind of the, the motivation behind it, uh, what it was like writing it, uh, pretty much all of that stuff. Um, yeah, so I think I mentioned this in the piece, um, but I definitely cried a lot while writing it. Um, it was definitely a very emotional piece for me to write. Um, when I uh, put it on my Twitter, um, the response was sort of overwhelming. People um, also felt really moved by it. Um, and a lot of people who had been considering coming out to their parents or had already come out to their parents, um, felt, um, like it, it really like spoke to their experiences. Um, and I got a lot of people encouraging me, encouraging me, like saying like, oh, like, you know, I'm sure your mom must be so proud of you. Um, like just an outpouring of support, basically. Um, I did send it to my mom. <laughs> um, and her, her response was sort of lukewarm. She was like, yes, I still love you. I wish you were doing something else, but, you know, you have to choose your own path. And <laughs> I wish she could be as proud and excited of my work as I am, but, <laughs> you know, it's never going to be a perfect situation. One part of the, the essay that I found to be really interesting and something that I hadn't thought a lot about is the fact that you came out as well uh, as someone who is sort of in a happy relationship um, and how that uh, sex workers are often uh, feel compelled to keep their personal lives private. Um, just even the fact that they have, you know, their own relationships, their own sort of personal lives. Um, can you just talk a little bit about why that was so hard or, or what the sort of perception is when a sex worker or a porn performer has, you know, a happy life outside of their, of their job? I think some fans like to, um, really fantasize about being in a relationship, um, with, um, whatever sex worker, um, they happen to favor and um, knowing that the, the person has a partner can sort of destroy that illusion uh, for them. And so when I started working, I was really concerned about whether or not clients um, would, whether or not knowing that I had a partner um, who wasn't paying for my time um, would make them feel uncomfortable, would make them feel as though they were less somehow or not um, important to me. 
Um, so I chose to keep it private for a while. Um, but eventually I realized, um, I think I have really supportive and amazing clients in general. Um, and as I started opening up more about my personal life, they were really supportive and just like happy um, that I had someone. There There were clients earlier in my career who after I had, I had this one client um, who actually was like completely convinced uh, that we were in a relationship um, and that I was like madly in love with him. Um, and I liked him, but it, it was just work for me. Um, and he actually found my OkCupid and then I linked um, to my partner on my OkCupid. Um, and after that, he just like completely lost his shit. <laughs> basically, um, and became really abusive towards me. Um, luckily only through like online, um, modalities, <laughs> but yeah, it was really, um, and, and so I think that experience, which happened, um, within the first year that I was working really made me feel extremely cautious about opening up to clients about my personal life. Um, but now I've, got, I've gotten to the point where most of my clients are basically close friends anyways, um, if not more than that. Um, and so it feels um, really freeing to be able to talk about both my personal life and um, hear, hear about their personal lives as well. And I think um, it's important, too, that uh, partners of sex workers are often criminalized, um, I think, especially in, um, like, the Nordic model, which is often promoted um, by prohibitionists. Um, it it makes it um, so that anyone who is living off the proceeds of um, a sex worker is de facto, like, to be crude, pimping them out, um, which is just blatantly untrue. And I think, um, you know, uh, some of my friends who do sex work have partners who are really sick and are going through something and are actually unable to work. Um, and describing them as being uh, pimped or abused by this partner is just, it's ex extremely fucked up. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, so by being open about having a partner, it does sort of put my partner in danger, um, which is upsetting, but true. Do you think that uh, this essay and coming out like this will help in your ad advocacy work? Like it, on some level, and, and obviously you've been doing the advocacy work for a few months now, if not longer, but on some level, it, maybe this makes you a little bit more public in terms of um, just putting like putting uh putting yourself out there as I am going to do this advocacy work and I'm not going to be um ashamed of doing it or I'm not going to apologize for doing it do you think that it will make you make it easier for you to do this sort of work moving forward it was definitely very freeing um to put this information out there um it felt like a lot of people sort of knew about it and I had been sort of dropping hints on my Twitter about the fact that I was married and everything. Um, but yeah, I think it's um, going to be really helpful um, for my advocacy work to have, to just be more open about what my life is actually like. And I think an important part of advocacy work is showing, is humanizing sex workers. Um, and so showing that I have, 
lead, you know, not a, <laughs> I don't really lead a normal life, but I, I like have friends, I have family, like I'm not like completely alien and unlovable. And I think that's important um, for beginning the process of humanizing sex workers in the eyes of the public. How do you see sort of the industry and community changing um, as you move forward? Like what are, what are some of your goals here? And I guess, what do you hope to see uh, as, as this advocacy work continues? I think um, Survivors Against SESTA, um, which was formed as a response um, to SESTA passing specifically. So it was more of a crisis organization. Um, but they have done really amazing work um, in just like giving people a chance to actually do advocacy work. I think before um, there were organizations that were more focused on like local chapters um, or more like direct aid volunteering, which is more time intensive and less easy to commit to. Um, and I think um, just having a like easier, more flexible, um, easier to connect with um, on the internet um, advocacy group um, is going to be really important for um, our community moving forward. I think um, we have a lot to learn, especially from uh, Black Lives Matters um, activists. I think they've done, activists and organizers, they've done some really amazing work. Um, you know, they there is the, the Ferguson protest, which sort of sparked um, the movement. And then they've done a really amazing job, like taking that energy and sort of transforming it into this really powerful movement. Um, and I think the same things happen with uh, sex work. So I'm looking forward um, to being a part of that change. How can uh, people who want to be supportive but aren't, uh, don't know any sex workers or don't know if they know any sex workers have, are sort of new to this whole conversation, um, people who want to be allies, how can they help? I think um, just educating yourself about um, sex work in general is really important. Um, I think Playing the Whore by Melissa Jerry Grant is a great um, book just about um, sex work uh, that's pretty approachable um, and does a good job of explaining um, why advocating for sex workers is important. Um, and then, you know, if someone around you makes a shitty joke about dead sex workers or something, just calling them out, saying, hey, that was really inappropriate. Sex workers are people, you know. Um, and I think, um, you know, sex workers are paid for their time. If you feel like you want to learn directly from someone, I'm sure like paying someone their rate to sort of talk about their lives and ask them how you can help them and do uh, better work for them um, is, you know, something that's definitely an option too. Um, yeah, I think uh, educating and sharing that information with others is definitely going to be hugely important over the, the coming years and giving money financially to sex work organizations. Thank you so much for, for doing this uh, advocacy work. Thank you for uh, writing for us and, and thank you for being so visible at a time when it's really needed. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm Jason Kebler. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I'm here with Samantha Cole and Liara Rue. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday. So you can listen to us on any podcast app, iTunes, uh, we're Radio Motherboard, and uh, I guess we are signing off. Bye.